Hi, everyone. Man, it's been a day. I don't know how many of you follow me on Twitter, but yesterday I had a post go mega viral. It's still going. Right now, it's at 1.3 million views and counting. I think I've probably added something like 1,500 followers. It's pretty crazy. As you can imagine, when a Twitter post like that goes mega viral, it takes up a lot of time. So I'm a little bit scattered right now, dealing with all the thousands of people who are messaging me and commenting, but it's also a lot of fun. I also want to point out, it's kind of crazy to think that I can just dash off something at an in and out and then that tweet will go around the world. It's a little addicting, a little weird, but I also recognize that it's all in the providence of God. I can't plan for that kind of success. Some people are pretty good at Twitter and they can figure out tweets that get thousands or even tens of thousands of impressions, but 1.2 million, 1.3 million, that's in God's hands. So all glory to him. Praise the Lord for giving me the opportunity and building me an audience. I've got 10,000 followers on Twitter now and 20,000 followers on Instagram, thousands of podcast downloads and hundreds of people on my email list. It's actually kind of wild to think about, especially because I'm heading into the three-year anniversary of my podcast. Oh, and I've got a couple thousand subscribers on YouTube. Man, it's a little wild to think about having something called an audience, but I feel very blessed by it. And I'm very grateful to know that the things that I say and the way that I say them are reaching people, including you. So with my kind of scatterbrain, I'm just going to take a stab at a couple different questions that people sent, one of which is from the council and the other one I got via email. I think I'm actually going to open up this AMA to people on all of my social media accounts. So if you follow me on Instagram or on this podcast, in the coming weeks, I'll put together a link and you could submit questions through there. So the first question I want to tackle is about productivity. I haven't really touched on this before in any of my content. I don't really deal with those topics just yet. But this week's question, the first one is, if you have one, can you describe your daily personal productivity routine? What tools do you use to stay organized on task and moving forward? My number one tool for that is a yellow pad. Every day before I go to bed, I just write down my thoughts for what I want to accomplish the next day. It's pretty simple. I've tried a bunch of different apps and could never make them stick. I tried bullet journal, which a lot of people really like. I'm thinking about trying like a modified bullet journal because I'm essentially just doing this on my yellow pad. But really for me, just dumping the things down in my mind that I have to work on every night before I go to bed keeps me on task and on target. But there have been two big innovations that I've done in that process, kind of understanding how my mind works. The first one is that when I write down a to-do, I start with a verb, write podcast intro, instead of writing down a noun, podcast intro. I say write podcast intro, or edit graphics, or edit video for YouTube, or reply to email from so-and-so. I found that for my own brain, writing down a verb really helps rather than some nebulous idea of a noun. Edit podcast intro is a really good way of thinking exactly what I have to do rather than the deliverable. Because if you write down a noun, the noun is a deliverable and the deliverable is kind of vague or fuzzy, at least in my mind. When I write down a verb, then I can say I have edited the podcast intro, cross it off the list. So that's one big innovation. The other big innovation that I've done is really understanding what tasks to break up and when. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, a lot goes into every one of the interview episodes specifically. Let's go into these AMAs, but with the interview episodes, there's an entire process of first recording the interview, downloading the files, putting them into a multi-track editor, writing my intro, recording my intro, editing my intro, arranging all the files, mixing them down individually, track by track, then mixing down the entire file, 
then exporting the MP3, editing the ID3 tags, and uploading it to Podbean, where I host my podcasts. Obviously, there are a lot of steps. I probably left out a few. And it used to be really early on that I would try to do all of this stuff over the course of like one or two days. And it drove me absolutely insane. To have to write something, record it, edit it, and mix it, and upload was just too many different kinds of tasks all in one day. So the other big innovation I came up with for myself was a process for delivering the podcast by staging out each thing a little bit a day. Now, my goal is that all these things should be totally invisible to you. You should never even think about them. And that's the goal of any complicated project. It should look and feel almost like magic. But behind the scenes, a lot has gone into it. And I had to figure out how to do that in a sustainable, process-driven way. So that I know on Monday, I do this. Tuesday, I do this. Wednesday, I do this. And I run that through week by week by week. And so automating that process in my own mind made it really easy for me to stay on top of these really complicated projects. And so that's what made it possible for me to take on doing a YouTube channel. I had to structure the rest of my time to make room for how to produce a YouTube video because that involves setting up my lighting, recording the thing, editing the thing for a whole other different file. The files are much bigger, the editing is much more complicated, and I have to look at my own face, which makes things a little more difficult. So because I had structured out the podcast development, I was able to make room for the YouTube development, which was able to make room for everything else that I have to do during the week. So the two big innovations for my personal productivity routine are one, a weekly structure where I know what I'm doing for my podcast every day leading up to my release date every week, and then also having a dedicated structure to deliver these complicated projects. So I just recommend the yellow pad for me. That's how I like to do things, navigating by intuition. It allows me to be more flexible. You can find a personal productivity routine that works for you, but I would say the most important thing to take away from this is if you're responsible for delivering large, complicated projects every week or every month, or at least on regular intervals, break it into smaller chunks that you do at consistent times. That makes it so much easier and less stressful because, for example, having to go from my writing application to my recording application to my editing application and then to my graphic design application and then uploading it, that's a bunch of different ways to make my mind work all in a day. It makes my brain pretty tired. By breaking them up across separate days, it makes things much easier. So that's my answer to my personal productivity routine question. And then the second question I got this week is, quote, in your Burning Man Ask Me Anything episode, you discuss the reasons people get into the new age are betterment and enlightenment. Do you think that those who are in the new age for betterment are more easily or likely to be saved? And that's from a Christian perspective. This is a really interesting question because I don't actually know that you can separate enlightenment from betterment. There are people who get into the new age for betterment, but the Enlightenment ideology is tacked onto it. The whole idea that you're pursuing betterment in this lifetime is so that you can lessen the karmic burden for the next lifetime and perhaps the one after that, and then attain enlightenment or self-negation. You cease to exist. The flame of your consciousness is extinguished, which is literally what the word nirvana means. Now, there's a form of Buddhism called Tibetan Buddhism that kind of gets around this. And what it promises is something called the bodhisattva. The bodhisattva is a being that has earned the right through karmic lifetimes to attain enlightenment. It could extinguish its consciousness, but instead it decides to come back into human incarnation to serve humanity until every living being reaches enlightenment. So this sounds really cool, like, oh, I'm a bodhisattva, I'm super enlightened, I'm serving humanity to guide everyone towards the light. That sounds really neat. It's really validating to the ego. 
First of all, no one has ever actually met a real bodhisattva, ever. Second, what you end up finding is people who pretend that they're bodhisattvas and sort of play act this kind of mystical softness, all is one brother, and they act out what they imagine what it would be to be enlightened. It's very fake, it's very hollow, it's very empty. Because a truly enlightened being, if there were to be such a thing, would probably have much more wisdom than you can find from Brad on the beach in Goa. So no one's ever met an enlightened person. No one has ever met a bodhisattva. They're mythical. But there's a deeper problem that I realized way, way later with the whole bodhisattva ideal. Until every living being attains enlightenment. When you think of Buddhism as gradations of consciousness up to human enlightenment and going downwards from there, those gradations of human consciousness can go all the way down to the simplest animals or even single-celled organisms. So if you have to wait until even a single-celled organism can evolve through lifetimes to human enlightenment, you're talking about essentially forever. If you are constantly taking reincarnation as an enlightened being until every being attains enlightenment, that is the bodhisattva vow, you are agreeing to be reincarnated forever. Now, let's just say that that sounds appealing to you. Okay, fine. But the fourfold noble truths of Buddhism are all about suffering. Life is suffering. The Bodhisattva vow is to be reincarnated into a world of illusion and suffering for eternity. That is literally the Bodhisattva vow. It is ludicrous. And when I thought about it, to be born over and over again into a world of illusion and suffering sounds a lot like hell. And when I realized that, then I got really scared. And I realized just how demonic even Buddhism is, even Tibetan Buddhism. Now, Tibetan Buddhism is practiced by the Dalai Lama. It was called Mahayana Buddhism, to be contrasted with Theravada Buddhism. Theravada Buddhism is called the lesser vehicle, which means you are only concerned for your own personal enlightenment. Mahayana Buddhism was called the greater vehicle. You are concerned for the enlightenment of others. So Tibetan Buddhism is where the Bodhisattva vow came from. The Bodhisattva vow is to reincarnate for eternity until every living being is liberated from the illusion of consciousness. That's what's going on in Buddhism. And when I realized that, that's when I threw Buddhism away forever. Now, remember, I had been to India. I have been to the literal Bodhi tree where the supposedly real Buddha allegedly attained enlightenment. But there's a problem. The earliest known writings of Buddha didn't show up until 400 years after he is alleged to have existed. You can find that on Wikipedia. I was shocked by that. When I learned that the writings about Christ were in the first century, mere years or decades after he died, and that doesn't exist in any other world religion, that was a huge deal for me. Because I had spent years in a Hindu-Buddhist milieu where they said Jesus was probably mythological, but Buddha, Buddha was a real guy. In fact, on my travel blog, I think I even wrote that once. But when I found out that the writings about Buddha didn't come until 400 years later, but the writings about Christ were at the same time, that was a really huge deal. So I hope you can see how sanctifying the pursuit of Christ has been for me to begin unwinding these doctrines that I lived in for so, so long. And just if I can tell a quick story, one of my travel stories is I flew to Kashmir, the mountains of Kashmir, in 2019 for a 10-day Buddhist meditation retreat. I was way up high in the mountains. I might have been like at 8,000 or 10,000 feet in essentially like a couple shack-like construction places for a 10-day Buddhist silent meditation retreat, 10 hours of meditation a day for 10 days. 
We ate all vegetarian meals, and we weren't allowed to talk for 10 days. And so I did that. I did that discipline. In fact, some of the sittings actually required us to sit cross-legged on a mat for an hour and endure the pain of sitting in that. It was called a strong determination sitting. You were challenged to sit there and penetrate mentally through the pain to be able to endure it and attain some amount of enlightenment, not total enlightenment, on the other side. So I succeeded in doing one of those. And also during that retreat, I think I went as deep into my own consciousness and I actually discovered some of the mechanics that Buddha is alleged to have said about the mind, but discovered they were totally false. They completely left out something entirely real, which is the reality of free will. So basically, Buddhism teaches that the mind is this conditioned thing that all it ever does is go towards pleasure and go away from pain. Go towards pleasure and go away from pain. It's a mechanism, and every decision you make is to go towards pleasure and to go away from pain. So I got way down into my consciousness, and I actually saw that working, and then I realized that it was possible for me to put my hands on the wheel of my own choice and go towards pain, which is to say to go towards voluntary hardship. Now, Buddhism leaves that out, and it's the choice to go towards voluntary hardship against the impulse of our own mind to delay gratification, to endure voluntary hardship that constitutes a living sacrifice. And that is the message of Christianity. So Buddhism, in addition to its big promise, either being self-negation or rebirth into endless suffering, leaves out the notion that we can delay gratification, we can forestall pleasure and choose voluntary hardship as a greater sacrifice. In other words, the best of our free will. So that's Buddhism. And I want to get back to the question of enlightenment versus betterment, which is where all this came from. So, what people who go to the New Age looking for betterment find is the notion of enlightenment underneath it. It's going to be hard to find people who engage in New Age practices who don't have some of that on them. It's generally framed in a broadly theological context. So, I don't want to skirt the question itself. Instead, I want to see if I can kind of reframe it and say, if someone's going looking for enlightenment or self-negation, you have to tell them that they are a self in the first place. You have to make them think that they are a separate, independent being who God created and who God loves and desires to be in reconciliation with. That's a really hard sell to somebody. If you were to go to an ashram and be with someone who had spent years trying to untangle the knot of their own consciousness and try and reconvince them that they're a person, that could be very difficult. On the other hand, if you do find someone who's into self-development and pursuing greater happiness, yes, I think you can actually reach that betterment person Because in a sense, that was me. I was very committed to growth, and I wasn't fully committed about the extinguishing of the self. There was something about it that didn't sit right with me. But I was very interested in living a fulfilled adult life. In fact, there's a book that I read that likens the pursuit of enlightenment to Moby Dick and the White Whale. Most people in their lives, especially in the New Age, don't actually want to hunt the White Whale. They just want happy lives and fulfilled lives as adults, And the New Age offers inner healing techniques that come along with the larger theological ideology. So I think it probably will be easier to reach people who are more interested in betterment because they believe that they have a self worth investing in and worth loving in the first place. And so if you have someone who has been committed to loving themselves for years by developing into a happy and fulfilled person, it's a much smaller gap to tell them, hey, that happy and fulfilled person that you're trying to grow into God loves that person. God wants to be in reconciliation with that person. 
and that reaffirms the value of the individual. And that's why Christianity is so powerful. The alternative is trying to find someone who isn't interested in betterment and only wants enlightenment. Then essentially you have to try to put their brain back into their head. And that is absolutely not an easy task. But I don't want to seem like reaching the people interested in betterment are an easy task either, because a lot of people who invest in things like personal betterment are ready to let go of the bitterness they hold towards other people, but convicting them of their own sin is a much bigger challenge. It's a huge challenge to convict them of actual sin. Not just that you wronged this person, but this thing that you did in private, there's an almighty, omnipotent God that saw that, and you wronged him. And when you think about the New Age as being this divine feminine on steroids, where everything's okay, and the only reason you have to let anything go is because it's holding you back, when you shift that mindset into believing that, no, you violated the law of an almighty God, that is an enormous mind shift for some people, and they just can't get there. They're terrified that by that idea. In fact, I remember back in, I think it was in January 2022, just at the start of the year, that was the first time that I was introduced to the concept of God's wrath. And I was really scared when I discovered that. To imagine that the creator of the universe, the creator of me, could feel wrath. I mean, isn't that an absolutely catastrophically terrifying idea? And it was so foreign to everything that I knew where the universe loves you and wants to see you grow and wants to see you be happy to imagine instead that there was an almighty father God with laws who felt wrath towards sin and the breaking of his laws was an enormous thing that I had to go through for a few days. But I actually got there and then of course it laid the groundwork for me to understand Calvinism and everything that came out of that. So I say all this because reaching people who are interested in the notion of betterment isn't as easy as it sounds. Yes, people seeking enlightenment, you have to put their brains and their souls back in the bag of their head, and that's a whole different process. I'd imagine there'd be a lot of counseling involved with that, assuming, of course, the Holy Spirit doesn't begin moving through them organically, which is a separate thing. So reaching people interested in enlightenment is one challenge, but reaching people interested in betterment is no lesser of a challenge, especially because you have to convict them of sin. You have to prove to them or demonstrate to them or convince them that there is an almighty Father God that they have to sin against and that they have to repent to. And then the last step is they have to accept salvation from the one person that they have been told to never pay attention to, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's what the New Age is. The one guy not allowed in the room is Jesus. There's Buddha. Buddha is the savior of the New Age world. And Jesus, Jesus is a myth. That's the whole thing. Or Jesus was just some guy who embodied something called Christ consciousness. That's a whole other thing, but basically you can just think of it as Jesus was just a man like anybody else who attained a high level of wisdom or knowledge and sought to communicate that knowledge to the people. No different from someone like Buddha or Krishna or Muhammad or any of that. Now, of course, the New Age is blissfully naive about all of these people, and it uses this to reaffirm its pre-existing notions of everything, right? But Christ consciousness says that Christ is one of those big, long world teachers, so to convince people that, no, Christ was one-third of the triune Godhead who sacrificed his life and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin to be reconciled to God is a whole worldview thing that does not exist anywhere in the New Age at all. So I don't want to make it sound like reaching people who are into betterment will be any easier. The only thing that'll be easier is convincing them that they exist, because they will actually believe that they exist. And so I suppose it's marginally easier for that reason. And because they've demonstrated ongoing care and concern for themselves and their lives, I think the groundwork is there to let them know that, yes, you are loved, you are loved by God. But then the entire process 
of convicting them of sin, of introducing them to the entire story of redemptive history, to introducing them to the notion of a wrathful God, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, that's going to be a whole thing. Because in the New Age, I think it'd be fair to say that God's love is the beginning of wisdom. That's how the New Age frames it. But God's love in the sense is a motherly love. God's love is the beginning of wisdom. God loves you exactly who you are. So go to Burning Man and take off all your clothes and run around to take a bunch of drugs. That's the New Age. Versus the fear of God and the fear of God's wrath is the beginning of wisdom, which is what Christianity says, which can be very, very confronting for people. So I don't mean to say that this is easier than it is. It's actually quite difficult. But there are so many New Age to Christ people right now, it's incredibly inspiring. There is a flood happening, and the Holy Spirit is moving in very powerful ways to the New Age community. It's actually causing quite a controversy because there are a lot of hardened New Age people that are calling us all brainwashed and stuff like that. I even lost a former good friend over it, so it's actually quite controversial. But it just shows the power of the Holy Spirit to convict sinners and raise them up and bring them into adoption. It's a beautiful thing, and I'm very grateful to be a part of it. So is it easier to reach people who are into enlightenment versus betterment? The correct answer is probably with the Holy Spirit, nothing is impossible. Both are equally easy. But if we're coming from an individual human perspective where you want to sit down and have a conversation with somebody, you will probably be marginally further down the track starting with someone into betterment than you would be with someone into enlightenment but you're still going to run into some significant roadblocks along the way. So I'm going to wrap up this Ask Me Anything for now. I'm actually surprised how coherent I was with my brain being scattered by millions of people on the internet. I'm really excited about this week's podcast with Professor Nancy Piercy, the author of The Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes. That one's going to be coming out on Friday. Also, if you're still listening, coming up on the weekend of October 6th through 8th in Schenectady, New York, I'm speaking at the Man Up Conference at Electric City Baptist Church. It's a three-day event with talks and panels and networking and social events. And on Saturday night, I'm going to be giving an exclusive talk about men in honor that I'm preparing just for the conference. So that's the Man Up Conference in Schenectady, New York at Electric City Baptist Church, the weekend of October 6th through 8th. I and mean, here's the best part. The conference is totally free. So there's an Eventbrite link in the show notes of this episode, and you can hit that link and register and you can meet me there. I'm going to be there all weekend. So no matter when you show up, whenever you can make it, I'll be there. And on Saturday night, I'm giving my talk on men in honor. Once again, hit the Eventbrite link in the show notes to go to the Man Up Conference in Schenectady, New York on October 6th through 8th. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. I'm going to go check my Twitter right now and see how many thousands of messages I got from admiring people in America and people who are upset in India. And I'll catch you on Friday with Nancy Piercy. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform 
at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.